Welcome back to another daily walk. Uh, we're going to spend today doing uh, another section in the Lucifer Principle. Um, and uh, as I was reading through this section, which is on why humans self-destruct, I actually found that this section was the absolute most destructive to this author's viewpoint. Uh, because he identifies a challenge uh, in talking about the self-destruction of societies, what causes, you know, what causes anything from a small cell to a human himself to fall into uh, into death and self-destruction without actually providing anything from science, because I don't think that this is something science can answer. Um, and what I wanted to focus on now, the first, the first uh, section of this, we're going to cover the whole section, like the first chapter in this section is the theory of individual selection and its flaws. And so basically they looked at the concept of, of individualism and natural selection and identifying that the one of the major uh, premises of uh, natural selection, of course, is that each individual fights to pass on its own genes. And the author identified several different colonies and organizations where an individual in the group will sacrifice himself to the greaterment of the entire tribe, whether they be directly uh, related or not, which actually does blow a very serious hit to the whole concept that we understand as natural selection. Because in natural selection, each organism fights each other organism of its own species or of another species in order to pass on its genome. And that was, in fact, the first, the, the last chapter we talked about in this book. That's exactly what he said. His final culminating conclusion is that these molecules which have nothing in and of themselves in this f purely natural, purely physical world all somehow come together to produce an organism that seeks only to carry on its own genes and that the, the ability of that organism to carry on its own genes is something embedded in the genes themselves which have nothing. So they're trying to add anthropomorphic characteristics to genes which are simply chemicals. That was the final concluding parts of his last section. Now, this section, he goes in and he says that, yeah, that is actually, there, there's a lot of challenges to that. Um, and then, <clears throat> so he spends the, the first chapter in this section is the longest where, you know, he talks about the Japanese kamikaze pilots, um, you know, sacrificing themselves for the betterments. But he also talks about things like, like elk. You know, and, and gazelles, uh, and you know, a gazelle sees a tiger, the gazelle will start behaving erratically to alert the other gazelles. Now, if natural selection were purely a thing, he would be the guy that casts on his genes because he goes, oh, crap, there's a, there's a tiger over there. there, there's a cheetah over there, he wants to come have me for lunch. Well, the natural selection thing, that thing would hang low, it'd slowly meander to the middle of the tribe, it'd get as far distance as possible, and as the cheetah is plucking off some other poor sap in the tribe, he'd be shooting off out the other side. That's what natural selection determines. But according to the author, he identifies that that's not actually what happens. The thing will alert everybody else in the tribe for the betterment of the whole tribe. So the kamikaze pilots crash themselves into, you know, into uh, allied troops ships for the betterment of the cause. And if you actually dig into some of the stories behind some of those people, they literally believed that the ruler of Japan at the time, I don't know if he was a king or emperor or whatever, I don't know that much about the politics, but the people of that era believed that that ruler was God. And so it's the same thing that we find with, with radical jihadists who, you know, believe that if they just die in the course of, uh, if, if you die in the course of, 
of a, a jihad, then you will instantly get up to heaven with a hundred virgins. And so you get these different radical views. And of course, let's let's not leave out the Christians who believe that if you followed in the Crusades, your sins would be forgiven because the church at the time was giving indulgences. It's all wrong. <laughs> That's not right. Um, but the author goes through and talks about these interesting views about how uh, how individualism is not actually the chief end and that somehow the organism comes together. And so they move into this chapter called superorganism, which talks about the individuals, whether it be individuals of a cell making up a body and he's using things like sponges and whatever else, or whether it's individual people making up the whole of society. And the rest of the chapters in this section offer a lot of anecdotal evidences for that, but none of it actually addresses anything scientific. And I'm going to read you a very telling statement. Um, now, the, the chapters here are the theory of individual selection and thought, uh, flaws, which we covered. We talked about superorganism, which is where the individuals are making it part of the whole. And then it basically talks about the ways that we self-destruct, the various instances whereby, uh, whereby we... Uh, we lose ourselves if we separate ourselves in our own isolation. So it basically says that our own isolation from societies will come together and, and destroy us. And so the next, the next three sections are isolation, the ultimate poison, talking about how isolating a person from society will tend to you know, either cause a lot of health problems or even lead to death. Uh, isolating a cell from the organism will do the same thing, etc. They talk about even heroes are insecure, talking about how, you know, some, and, and this is where you're breading into a philosophy where if you are so high up in an elitist ladder, you have to be very cautious about who you let in, and so it forms a de facto isolation, lending itself to the same person, and then they end up with a section called loving the child within is not enough. All right, and so loving the child in is not enough. Is basically they, they talk about the Phil Donahue show and people coming in and saying, you know, if you feel insignificant, you just want to, you know, tell yourself you're significant enough times. See, that's that uh, in, in the Christian circles, the health and wealth gospel follows this. Kind of started with the Norman Vincent Peale and, and the um, Robert Schuller and the whole self love movement, all this kind of stuff. Just love yourself and everything's going to be good. And he kind of says, no, that's a little ridiculous too. But why do I want to talk about this in the Christian section? What is it specifically I want to do? The author has nothing more than anecdotal things saying this is how it is. Humans, cells, we all tend to isolate ourselves and, and uh, we all tend to, to require all these other things. We are all part of the superorganism and separating us from the superorganism causes us to self-destruct. And no science, no anything, because I don't think there is any science. But on page 59, he says this. Talking about the sponges. In fact, I'm going to read a little bit more in context here. Um, take the sponge, run it through a sieve into a bucket. So this is kind of a science experiment. If you've ever done this in a biology class, you take a sponge, like not a, a you know dish sponge, but an organism, the sponge, the organism, and you take it and you can shred the thing apart, leave it at the bottom of a bucket, and in a few hours it will reassemble itself. All right, uh, regenerative properties. So take a living sponge, run it through a sieve into a bucket, and the sponge breaks up into a muddy liquid that clouds the waters in which it falls. The cloud is a mob of self-sufficient cells wrenched from their comfortable, settled life between the familiar neighbors and set adrift into a chaotic world. Each of those cells has theoretically got everything it takes to handle life on its own. And listen to this statement. This is the humanist who wants to deny that there is a God and say it's all science, a uh, random 
incidences, random chances all show up to somehow produce this miraculous thing we call life. This is, this is his, his conclusion. But something inside of the newly liberated sponge tells it, hey, you can either live in a group or you cannot live at all. And the microbees search frantically for their old companions, then labor to reconstruct the social system that bound them together. Within a few hours, the water in your bucket grows clear, and sitting at the bottom is a complete and reconstructed sponge. If you want to deny God in the midst of all of that, even this guy who wants to deny God, say it's all physical, all these calling up to the sky gods is just ludicrous. Acts 17, 28. In him, we live, we move, and we have our being. Now, that is part of Paul on Areopagus in uh, uh, Mars Hill, I believe, where he is actually addressing the fact that these people all look for some form of God. They are all looking for something. And he says, I bring to you in truth what you bring in ignorance. Remember, this is the city where he's going around and he says, you know, I perceive that you are a very religious people because as I was looking around your cities, looking at all your gods, I found a inscription to an unknown God. He says, what you proclaim in ignorance, I proclaim to you in truth. And then he lays out the gospel, the evidence for that God really is God. What is better to sit here and say, you know what? Something inside of the sponge just tells it to come back together. Or is there a living God in which we live and we breathe and we have our being? Of course, if you follow some of the more, more scientific-y sounding things, I think Lou Giglio talked about this a lot. A lot of this stuff trying to convince young Christians to be kind of militant Christian people, and I don't support any of that crappy movement either. But he's like, there's this, there's this stuff, and I believe it's, if I remember correctly, I think it's called... It's, it's not interferon, is it? I forget. But anyway, it's this protein that's shaped like a cross. And this has made a big splashing headlines in the Christian circles like, I don't know, 10 or 15 years ago. It's like, there's this thing and it's like a cross and it holds everything together. I think it is interferon, actually. I don't know. Um, uh, but anyway, it's it's just a protein. And yeah, indeed, it does bind cells together. And yes, indeed, it looks like a cross. Whoop-de-doo. Um, <laughs> but you get this kind of stuff. It's like... We don't have to get that crazy, but at the same token, is it better to believe in this random, we don't know, and the fascinating thing about this whole chapter is that, or the whole section, including four or five chapters, however many of this was, is that there was never once anything in science that points to why this is. It identified the phenomenological. It showed us in complex species, uh, human beings, societies in our world. It showed in, in more simple species like insect species, ant colonies, looking at how the ant colony uh, arranged itself. It looked at the sponge, individual cells. It looked at amoebas and how amoebas linked together to form colonies. They even talked about cyclic AMP, um, which is a signaling system in the cell. And they said, you know, isn't it fascinating? The signaling system in the human is the same as the signaling system in this colony of slime molds. Well, it makes sense if we're all created by the same being. Why would you want to reuse stuff? If you're a programmer, you don't recode every single thing. You work in your career on little snippets and you paste those snippets in. Well, that's exactly what we'd expect if there was an all-powerful God. <clears throat> All right. Now, regarding the parts about isolation, because the, the book, the, the section did a whole lot talking about isolation, maybe we need to go back and look at Genesis 2 again and realize at the very beginning, from the very foundations, 
God created Adam and he looks down and, and the very first time he looks down at his creation and says, it is not good. Every other time he made this, he made that. It is good. It is good. It is good. He made Adam. It is good. And then he looks down and it says, it is not good that the man should be alone. And thus was the beginning of the organizations around societies and everything else. So everything he is talking about, that he provides no scientific basis for why it is. He describes the phenomenological. He leaves us this problem. He never solves it. He never gives us anything. Is all perfectly consistent with the thoughts and the viewpoints of biblical Christianity, of an ultimate God who has given us inside of our base. All of this is all inside of us exactly what we are. Thank you for tuning in. Our Walk in Christ podcast is a listener-supported presentation. For more information about how you can help, check out ourwalkinchrist.com forward slash support or our Patreon page at patreon.com forward slash Tom M. That's T-O-M-M. Digital and paperback books are available on several online bookstores or at our website. Once again, the website is ourwalkinchrist.com.